And if you would, please turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 1, you'll find it on page 1016 of your pew Bible. If you want to follow along there, page 1016, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. We are doing a series this Advent on the angelic visitors. We're calling them ministers of the covenant, and that's what they are. They're not there for our speculation or curiosity. They are messengers from God, ministers of his covenant. And we're looking at the messages that they bring. And this morning we'll be looking at verses 26 and following to 38 of chapter 1. Today in our text, we are once again going to meet Gabriel the angel. To explain to you who he is, I need to take us back for a moment to the very beginning. In the beginning, God created two realms, two dimensions, this earthly universe and also a heavenly realm. Now, God is present in both realms, but he is never contained in either realm. He's not bottled up in either of his creations. Rather, as Solomon confessed, even the heaven of heavens cannot hold him, let alone this temple which I have built. Although he's not contained in either location, God does freely choose to fill both earth and heaven to be present in both places. However, his presence is different in each place. On earth, he has made men and women his image bearers, and we might say that his fingerprints are everywhere in this creation. But in heaven, in heaven, his presence is more direct. It fills everything, making things like sickness and tears impossible in that realm and creating a non-stop worship service, the likes of which we can only begin to imagine. The great prophet Isaiah explains it this way. He says that heaven is God's throne and earth is his footstool. In other words, God is present in both places, but in different ways. Of course, Isaiah knew this from personal experience through a vision. He had been in heaven for a short time and described heaven as one great throne room, just as John would later describe it in the book of Revelation. God's glory then is somewhat veiled here on earth while it is unveiled in heaven. The Bible ends with a promise that these two realms, these two dimensions, will one day be joined. Heaven will come down, and earth will be remade by its coming, and we will live in one united reality. We will have real resurrected bodies, but they will partake of heaven's glory. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that Jesus himself has already gone through this bodily transformation by virtue of his resurrection and ascension. And we are assured that our bodies too will put on immortality. Now maybe someone here is thinking, this sounds unlikely, unscientific, mythical. But if you think about it for a moment, I hope you'll realize that this plan I've just laid out for you, this design of reality is incredibly sensible. 
After all, every human culture that has ever existed has come to the same conclusion that there is a spiritual realm. Personally, it's impossible, I think, to live a long life here on earth and not to sense that there is a spiritual realm or dimension, to not at some point in your life brush up against an angel or a demon or something you just know is there. We may have been trained as atheists by our culture, but life simply doesn't bear that out. Which brings us back to Gabriel, an angel. Angels are spiritual beings who God made to fill the realm of heaven just as people fill this earthly realm. Unlike us, angels are purely spiritual beings. They appear to us as men, but they are not men or women or babies in diapers who shoot you with love arrows. Rather, they are profound spiritual beings whose very presence is overwhelming. Admittedly, we don't know all the details, but we do know that they are intimately involved in God's plan and that they serve at God's command. What we are about to read today then is the true story of heaven drawing near to earth. The most important event in world history is about to happen. It's about to happen in Nazareth and God has sent his messenger, his favorite messenger, Gabriel, to make it known. With those words of introduction, would you please stand as I read to you God's word. Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Joshua, or Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is God's word. Let's pray now and ask his blessing on it. Father, we thank you that this morning we have a better interpreter than even Gabriel the angel. 
for you have given to your church the Holy Spirit for preaching and for the listening ear. So we pray that the Holy Spirit would open our hearts and minds and our ears to the word of God, that we might be filled with your word and changed by it. Do all these things, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. As you probably know, the scene before us this morning is called the Annunciation, which is a fancy way of saying the announcement. And it's one of the most painted, painted scenes in scripture. In fact, I would guess that every one of us has at some point seen a painting depicting this moment. Usually uh, Gabriel is on a knee, he has wings and he's kneeling. And um, he's speaking to Mary, telling her these things. Now, there's no mention of any of that in scripture, no wings, no kneeling. But I do like that in many of these paintings, many of the great ones, somewhere in the background, there is a dove. And of course, that dove represents the Holy Spirit overshadowing Mary and the whole event. Well, the interest, the reason there's so many paintings is because there's interest and the interest is understandable. We can't help as we read these verses, but wonder what it was like for a simple village girl to find herself face to face with an archangel. But as we get started today, I, I do want to point out, and did you notice this, uh, that Luke is not at all interested in what the scene looked like. He doesn't offer anything like a painting. In fact, he offers nothing to our visual imagination. And that's because, you see, the real richness of this moment is not, is not found in Leonardo's canvas or in his imagination, but in the profound theology that passes between Mary and Gabriel. Angel means messenger, and this text is all about the message. So instead of staring for hours at a painting or a sculpture or statue of this moment, let's instead follow Luke's lead and invest our time in really listening carefully to what is said here. Studying God's word will always, always bring us much closer to the events than any painting or sculpture could ever do. Well, in order to listen well this morning, I want to look at each part of Gabriel's message. It breaks pretty clearly, I think, down into three parts, with a fourth and final section reporting Mary's response in verse 38. But let's stay focused mainly now on Gabriel's message. And so consider with me three things. Gabriel's comforting greeting, Gabriel's kingly announcement, and Gabriel's spiritual explanation. So first of all, in verses 26 through 30, you have Gabriel's comforting greeting. Look at those verses again, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. 
when Gabriel appeared to Mary, she was probably 14 or 15 years old. She was going about her day. She was living in a fairly remote village at the very edge of Israel. In fact, many committed Jews would have viewed Nazareth as Gentile territory. Think of Nathaniel's words in the Gospel of John when he asked, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Zechariah, who we looked at last week, met Gabriel in the temple at the hour of prayer, and that was, that was one thing. But Nazareth simply was not the place you expected to meet an angel, and a teenage girl could not dream of this happening to her. So this would have come as a shock for Mary. And so Gabriel lines his greeting, his opening words, with words of encouragement and assurance. Look at verse 28. Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But despite that encouragement, notice how Mary struggles then in verse 29. She was greatly troubled even at this saying. And she tried to discern what kind of greeting this might be. In response to her struggle, Gabriel then came to her help again in verse 30. Mary, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. You found favor with God. You see, this is our first point, isn't it? We have here Gabriel's comforting greeting. It is both a greeting and a word of strength to help her cope. Now, on the surface, these words may not sound very interesting. They may sound rather obvious. Don't be afraid. God is with you. But in reality, these greetings were taken from the pages of Mary's Bible. Mary would have recognized these very famous biblical words that the angel was now applying to her. And by the way, I think there's a lesson there for us, isn't there? That even an angel from heaven chose to use scripture to encourage a believer. How much more so should we? But let's look a little deeper at these words of comfort. What did Mary hear as uh, angel said this to her? Well, first of all, the angel assured her of God's favor, God's blessing, God's shining face. Verse 28 reads, greetings, O favored one. To be favored is to have God's grace given to you. This could be just the kind of message she would need in a moment like this. To know that she had God's grace in her life. As is true for every human being, for every one of us here, Mary has received God's blessing as a gift. It rests on her for no other reason than God's pure delight in showing grace to needy people like her and like us. And notice, brothers and sisters, that there's nothing here, nothing here remotely like Hail Mary full of grace. That tradition of the Roman Catholic Church goes against the Greek text. It's not there in the text by suggesting, as it does, that Mary is the one who overflows with grace, as if she were the source, as if Gabriel has left heaven to tell Mary how full of grace she is. But it is not Mary who is full of grace here in our text. Rather, it is God who is full of grace. 
And in the presence of her fear and confusion, Gabriel is assuring her that God has bestowed that favor on her in the form of grace, which is literally the Greek word here. It is the word for grace, unmerited love from God. If we're confused about this at all, the same language is used for us again at the end of verse 30. Look at that verse. Gabriel says, don't be afraid because you have found favor with God. You might recognize that phrase from Elder Boyajan's reading of Abraham's life. You have found favor with God. This would have made a lot of sense to Mary as a godly young woman. She had read these words before in scripture. For example, Noah, we're told, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. At a critical moment in the ministry of Moses, he's begging God to come with him as he leads the people. And he says, if I have found favor in your sight, hear my prayer and go with us. Closer to home, closer to Mary's home, Gabriel, the same angel, had appeared to Daniel at the end of the Old Testament age. And he says, quote, I have come to you, Daniel, to show you the future, for you are greatly loved. You have found favor with God. Gabriel offers one other vital word of encouragement in his greeting. He says in verse 28, not only have you found favor, but the Lord, Mary, the Lord is with you. Of course, Mary knew the Lord was everywhere and that God is always with his people. David had long ago written Psalm 139, where he asks, where can I go from your presence? And the answer, of course, is nowhere. God is always with his people. So what did Gabriel mean when he said to her, the Lord is with you? Well, again, Mary would have known this phrase. It was a biblical phrase. When Joshua took over from Moses, God made this promise, quote, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, fear not, same words, fear not, for I am with you. And Gideon was told in a moment of danger when he was going forth to battle, the Lord is with you. O mighty man of valor. At an incredibly difficult moment in Paul's ministry, the Lord said to him, Acts 18, for I am with you and no one will attack you. So when Gabriel says the Lord is with you, he is saying that Mary is about to play a major role in God's plan. This language was reserved usually for men who were prophets, priests, and kings, and judges. No wonder teenage Mary was bewildered to hear these words from the mouth of an angel. And yet here are the ancient traditional words she knew so well. Words of comfort and words of calling. The Lord is with you. The ancient church fathers say the knot of Eve's disobedience was untied by Mary's obedience. What the virgin Eve, having not yet had children, bound through her disbelief, Mary the virgin loosed by her faith. And comparing her with Eve, they call Mary the mother of all the truly living and frequently claim, quote, 
death through Eve, life through Mary, end quote. Mary's role in salvation history is profound. We should honor her, name our daughters after her, and reflect on her faith. However, the angel's greeting, this comforting greeting, is there because she needs it, because she is a sinner like us. It doesn't announce her righteousness, but it announces God's grace to her. What Mary will do will be done by Emmanuel, God with her. Having stabilized then Mary with these comforting words of greeting, notice now Gabriel moves on to a kingly announcement, a kingly announcement. Notice how he places the accent here on Jesus' royal, Davidic, and messianic identity. Look at verses 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, God promised David an eternal kingdom, an eternal dynasty. Now, if you know history at all, English history or any other history for that matter, you know that dynastic families come and go rather easily. It's pretty shocking, actually, how quickly they uh, kind of come in and out because they can't have children or there's a coup or something happens. So what God was promising David was extreme. It was magnificent. It was unprecedented in human history. It may have even felt a little, let's be honest, it may have felt a little unrealistic to Mary, who, like so many generations before her, lived under foreign occupation. Possibly the greatest question any Jew faced in those days was this. How would God's eternal kingdom promise come true? And why did it seem so unlikely? Why was David's throne seemingly empty? Into that confusion, God sent prophets. And I'm thinking here especially of Isaiah and Daniel. They made it clear more than anyone else that God would keep this promise despite the exile. David's throne would be occupied and secure but not in the way many thought, not by a succession of many faithful kings, but rather Isaiah and Daniel in their visions begin to understand that God's going to fulfill this promise through a son, singular, a single son, a final king who will be deathless, who would reign forever. Gabriel, actually the same angel, opened this truth to Daniel's eyes. Here's what Daniel says. I saw in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. That's Jesus' favorite title for himself, by the way, son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away in his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And Isaiah says the same things. For to us a child is born. To us a son, singular, is given. 
and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish that throne and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. God's answer to Israel's question about kingship was the gift of a son. Isaiah says, unto us a son is given. And so through the Spirit and through a careful reading of the Old Testament, the Jews had already begun to realize that God's plan had never been for an infinite succession of faithful kings, but rather to give permanence and peace. God would send one final king who would secure the throne forever. And they called this final king, this forever king, the Messiah or as we say it today, Christ. And that, that is what Mary would have heard. To answer the Christmas song, that is what Mary knew. That is what Gabriel, the same angel who guided Daniel, is now telling Mary. Verse 32 is the heart of it. He will be great and he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. Now notice there, and this is so important. Notice the connection between being a son and being a king. Jesus will be called the son of the most high. His divinity will be recognized. And because of that identity as son... He is able to have the throne forever. Here, Gabriel is once again quoting scripture. In the Davidic covenant, 2 Samuel 7, God promises David, David, after you die, I will raise up a king from your body and, quote, I will be a father to him and your house and your kingdom will be made sure before me and established forever. Now listen, no normal Davidic descendant could fulfill that promise. For this promise to come true, God's son must also become David's son. There must be a human, a real human, who is also divine, the true son of God. Only then can the promises of God be true, be stable, and be eternal. Today we face hundreds of worries and fears, don't we? But you know, there is one fear you will never have to face if you are in Christ. You will never have to worry about regime change or the next election. You'll never have to wonder if God's heart towards you has changed. You know, that's one of the biggest things we struggle with, isn't it? When things in our life go wrong, when we see things in the world going wrong, we just naturally, every one of us, I don't care how mature you are spiritually, every one of us deep down has this sense, maybe he's changed his mind about me. Maybe his love for me has changed. But the king never changes, and he cannot be dethroned. God's son has become David's son. And on that rock, we can build all our hopes. 
The king who is God's own son cannot be dethroned and he will never be rejected by the father. When he pleads for you and he intercedes for you right now, which he's doing, and when he pleads for you on the day of your death and when you come into glory, you can know that he will be heard because he is son of God and son of David. Caught up in their visions, this is what the great prophets have seen again and again. We began this morning by saying that heaven is one great throne room. That is what Isaiah, Daniel, and then finally John, they all saw the same thing. Heaven is one great throne room. But to our great encouragement, there are two thrones in heaven. One for God the Father creator and one for God the Son, who is also the son of David, Messiah. And so you might remember when David himself was caught up in a vision into heaven, he writes not of one Lord, but of two lords, two thrones, where maybe he just would have expected one. And he says in that psalm, quote, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And at that moment, David must have really come to understand and understood his own coronation hymn. David and his dynasty, they always would sing Psalm 2 when a new king was anointed. Quote, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I've begotten of you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage. Brothers and sisters, this is just a passing glance at what these words mean both to Mary and to us all. Gabriel here is unfolding things of incredible messianic depth. And these treasures, these mysteries, are all hidden in this little maid, in the faith of this simple virgin girl. No one would think to look to her for such a revelation. And yet in her womb, the Christ has come to earth. So first of all, Mary has been comforted with ancient biblical words, assuring her of God's favor and presence for what is about to happen. Then secondly, through Daniel's own guide, Gabriel the angel, the revelation of the Messiah has been opened to her and her role as mother has been shown to her in that ancient plan. Now finally, thirdly, in verses 34 through 37, Gabriel offers a spiritual explanation, a spiritual explanation. And by the way, spiritual here, if you're taking notes, that's a capital S. The Holy Spirit will be the one who brings this about. Gabriel's explanation, of course, is in response to Mary's question in verse 34. How will this be since I am a virgin? Now, we might ask, and this came up last week, why did Mary get away with this question when Zechariah was punished? I think there's a couple really good answers to that question, but I think it comes down to this. Mary's question, I believe, emerged from her faith. She wasn't calling into question Gabriel's prediction. Rather, she was concerned, and rightly concerned, for how a virgin girl could fulfill this while remaining pure. And I think there's, there's real piety in her question. Because our society is so promiscuous, 
It's hard for us to understand how much faith was required here of Mary. She is an engaged woman in a society that put incredible emphasis on chastity, a society where betrothal was virtually equal to marriage. Imagine how this would look. So Mary had good, faithful reasons to be concerned and to ask her question. Zachariah, a well-trained and experienced priest, had no excuse for questioning whether or not an old barren couple could miraculously have children. The life of Abraham revolved around that miracle. He knew the answer. But Mary had good reason to ask this question. In any case, aren't we thrilled she asked the question because we get this marvelous answer in verse 35. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary needs to know that this child will not have a biological father. She will be pregnant of the Holy Spirit. Gabriel very intentionally tells her that the Spirit will overshadow her. Now that language may not mean much to you, but it would have meant a lot to Mary. That same exact terminology is used in Exodus of the Shekinah glory of God that filled the tabernacle and later the temple. This same glory cloud that hovers over God's people would lead Israel through the wilderness. And it was the spirit, we're told in Genesis, that hovered over the deep waters and brought about our created order. And now Gabriel is saying, the spirit will hover one more time, this time over Mary. The spirit will come upon her and give her this child. And so in an utterly unique way, Jesus will be the son of God. As the spirit does this, Mary becomes a living temple. God with us, Emmanuel, is now not so much in the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem where Zechariah was, but more so the Holy of Holies is now the virgin's womb. This is why when Mary goes to see Elizabeth, the older woman, Elizabeth, is overwhelmed to even be in the presence of her little cousin, she cries out, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then later, much later in Luke chapter nine, at the very high point of Jesus's ministry, this language will return to us. We're told there that a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were afraid as they entered the cloud of God's Shekinah glory, and there Jesus is transfigured by the same overshadowing presence of the Holy Spirit. Then finally, as is often the case in the Old Testament, a sign is given to Mary as proof of God's faithfulness. She doesn't ask for a sign, but one is given in verse 36. The angel says to her, behold, Mary, look, look at Elizabeth. And verse 37 says, for nothing will be impossible with God. These words, nothing will be impossible with God. These are the very words, remember, spoken to Sarah concerning Isaac. 
In other words, Gabriel is saying, here is a sign for you, Mary, to help you take in all that I've said. Your elderly, barren cousin will conceive Sarah style. And then you will know that it is not just a dream or a delusion, but a true prophecy of the living God. Now step back with me and, and look at the whole for a moment. Gabriel has done his job well, hasn't he? He brought words of comfort to Mary. And not just any words, but words used for men like Joshua taking over for Moses or Gideon on the eve of battle. Whatever happens next, Mary can have the confidence that God is with her and that she has his favor. Then, being an angel and being Daniel's guide in his visions, Gabriel now guides Mary in the mystery of God's son. He reveals great things to Mary, including Jesus' name and ultimate identity as everlasting king. And then lastly, he explains to her the power behind it all, the Holy Spirit. Her child will be a second Adam. Like Adam, he will have no biological father. Rather, through the breath of God, the Spirit, God will uniquely be the father of Jesus' human nature. Now, how can we respond to these things this morning? Well, I think Mary's own response is the answer, and it's so striking. She says to this incredible angel, verse 38, behold. Now, he's been saying to her, behold, hasn't he? Look, see. Now, she says to him somehow humbly but powerfully, now you look. Look at me. I am the slave of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. We won't hear another word of such profound surrender again until in the shadow of the cross, Jesus will say, Father, not my will be done, but yours. And this is exactly how we must respond to this message today. By embracing the surrender that we see in Mary. Jonathan Edwards wrote a famous sermon titled, More Blessed Than Mary. More Blessed Than Mary. It was based on a quote from St. Augustine, but more importantly, it was rooted in Luke 11, 27 through 28. Here's what Luke says in that passage. As Jesus said these things, he was preaching, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you. And the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Amazingly, even the official catechism of the Roman Catholic Church must concede this point. Quote, Mary is more blessed because she embraces faith in Christ than because she conceives the flesh of Christ. When you believe on Jesus Christ and embrace him by faith and surrender to his will, saying, behold, the servant of the Lord, you become more blessed even than Mary at this vital moment. Meanwhile, what does Paul tell us? The Holy Spirit does not just hover over you and me. The Spirit enters every believer, making them a living temple and pregnant with the presence of the triune God, 
we go forth as God's children. Mary here in her faithful response typifies for us the response of every Christian. And she is here the picture of the whole church. Now, Gabriel began our passage by saying to her, greetings, O favored one. Did you know that word there, O favored one, mistranslated, full of grace, but that word there, favored one, appears in only one other place in all of scripture. And here it is. It's Ephesians 1, verses 5 and 6. He predestined us for adoption. That's to be sons and daughters to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has, here's the word, blessed us, favored us in the beloved. In Christ, by faith, this blessing is yours, and this is the greatest news of all. Amen. Let's pray. Father, if Mary could hear these words and believe them, so we too, through the Holy Spirit, can receive these words this morning. So for every believer here, I pray that they would receive now this revelation of your favor and love for them, that they would believe that in trusting Christ, they are actually more blessed even than Mary. And for those here this morning who do not know Christ, I pray that they would desire to know him, that they would long for this blessing and cry out to him, for he is not far from any of us. Father, do these things in us, we pray, for the glory of your Son, in whose name we pray. Amen.